Welcome to Crafting a Living. In today's show, I talked to Alan Melville from the Red Rock Brewing Company. Hey, and what, what a lovely conversation we had. It was over an hour long, a bit noisy. We chatted, we met in a, in a coffee shop. But nevertheless, a lot of valuable information coming through. So anybody who wants to listen, to start a brewery or to start a business in the beer industry, I want to encourage you to listen to the show. Today I've got Alan Melville with me. Alan is probably the biggest rock star in brewing in South Africa at the moment. Even <laughs> Alan didn't like that. <laughs> um, I was, I was, uh, when I was introduced to one of the other little German brewers the other day, I asked him if he knew he would be a rock star if he moved to South Africa. He said no. He thought he was a blue-collar worker. But you're not a brewer. You, you're the managing director of Red Rock Brewing Company. Um, welcome to the show. And yeah, we're going to ask you just to take us through a little bit of your journey, how how it all started. But even before that, how you know where you come from and. How did you end up where you are today? Okay, well, thanks, Holger. And uh, hello to you and also to all the fellow brewers out there who are listening to this. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, my journey back into beer uh, started around about 2011. Okay. Um, I was, to put it in a word, a strategist by profession. Worked in a whole range of industries um, since I left SAB. Okay, when did you leave uh, I was at SAB from 92 to 96, uh, working for the directors, um, mostly on the operational side and, uh, and marketing. Um, I was involved in a whole lot of strategic projects. There was a time of great expansion for SAB, uh, just prior to the new South Africa and in fact a new SAB that, that mm. Graham Mackay took SAB International. So there was a whole range of projects that we were working on at the time. Not only expanding it SAB internationally, but also expanding SAB in, inside South Africa and, mm -hmm. and indeed in Africa itself. So um, I led a team, for example, at one stage that did all the independent distributor strategies, okay. which was really around that. market penetration into the uh, more rural parts of the country. Yeah. Um, so it, it was projects along, along those lines and... Um, as I say, I'm not a brewer, but it was during, the, during those times, in fact, 94, 95, I was working on the centenary of SAB. And I had the good fortune to meet up with Gordon Den because we made a centenary lager, or the team. And Gordon was, was chief brewer at the time, and uh, we met and we've stayed friends ever since. So I, I after SAB, I, I worked and consulted back to SAB till around about 2004 when I then... Um, Opened with a few friends of mine's a sports marketing business. So okay. Completely jump around. I mean, I've I've been many things in my life. I've I've uh, been a a writer. I started off studying for the Catholic priesthood uh, in Pretoria. Uh, then went onto the mines and worked on the mines for a while in training. And started writing at the time. Went into from writing into radio, from radio into television. Oh, really? And so, uh, when I joined SAB, I was a a television uh, director, producer, scriptwriter. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect this to come out. Yeah, well, you asked me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a very interesting history. So, 
Um, after I left SAB, I consulted back to them, but I consulted in a whole range of other things, uh, including wastewater, water okay. management, distribution. Yeah. Uh, had a very long association, for example, with cargo carriers, um, where I've uh, assisted with managing some of their transport and logistics businesses. So, okay. so in, uh, in 2011, within one week, I got two phone calls. Uh, one from guys who had bought Napier Brewery, who yeah. were in the process of buying okay. Napier Brewery down in the Western Cape, yes. and saying, can you come down and give us a hand? And um, another one from guys in Johannesburg who were going into the beer distribution business. Um, and so I said to Sue, who you know, my wife, um, if the gods are telling me something, I, uh, we both very much believe in a concept called synchronicity, you know, when the when everything conspires to push in a direction, it's probably a good thing to follow that direction. So, so yeah, I had a good look at the beer industry through those two ventures. Um, was able to assist a little with both of them and said, the beer industry is calling me back again. Yeah. And um, first person I called was Gordon and said, Gordon, we're going to embark on this venture and uh, do you want to be a part of it? I need, I need technical people to to help me design the brewery, to design the beers. And um, Gordon then put together a team of retired SAV specialists, you know. And was, was Gordon, just tell us who Gordon is. So well, Gordon was chief brewer at SAB. Yeah. Um, Gordon Den was chief brewer um, for a long time. He then became international technical director when they moved internationally. So Gordon was the guy who led their sort of charge into Europe and, and wider. You know, so if they were buying a, a brewery in Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, China, Gordon was the guy who went out and did the work with his team okay. and um, changed it to the SAB way of doing business, um, adapted their processes and things. And, um, and that's where he finished his career. Um, when did but he wasn't retire? quite finished oh. uh, because Gordon then went on to become president of the International Institute of Brewers okay. in London for a couple of years. So, yeah, I was I was very fortunate. I'd met him, and we'd retained a, a, a contact, mm. mostly through golf, not through beer. Um, uh, yeah, and and uh, so Gordon uh, then he agreed to come on board, which for me was fantastic because it meant I had access to the highest level of brewing knowledge. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, that's where it all started. Okay. Yeah. You know. And, and what was the timing then? What, what sort of timing was it? It was around about 2011, 2012. Okay. Um, yeah, and that, and that was the time. Um, one of the things when, when we started mentioning to people we were going into it, um, people said, well, can you brew beer? And I said, well, I can't, but Gordon can. And they said, well, can the chief brewer of SAB make a craft beer? And as Gordon chirped me, he said, I don't know, can the captain of a jumbo jet fly a Cessna? Can he? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose the jury's out on that one. But, <laughs> no, I mean the, the pilot. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, we, we, so we set out. I mean, we developed um, Brickfields, which you'll remember yeah. as a brand, and that was, that was to prove to ourselves that we could make beer, um, to prove to the industry that we could make beer, and, but more importantly, to prove to investors yeah. that we could make beer. Okay. Because by then we, we had a dream. Um, my dream always included some form of contract brewing in Johannesburg because I knew yeah. that was a, a weakness. Being a strategist, yeah. that's where the market is and that's where the Cape Brewers in particular needed to penetrate and 
Beer, as you will well know, doesn't like to travel. Yeah. So it was always part of the plan. And um, yeah, so we started, I mean, the, the original plans were for a 20 hectolitre brewery, and then it became 30, and then it became 50, and then it became 150. So, but Gordon, Gordon was there right, right through, and, okay. and together with uh, one other person mainly, who had been an engineer uh, at Roslyn Brewery, been part of the team that built Roslyn Brewery, a guy called John Cluett. So, um, yeah, so John did a, some of our original engineering. So, so we had, had access to people that, I mean, with skills that, you know. Yeah, so from the beginning, you, I mean, you weren't, this wasn't going to be a small thing. No, well, you know, dream big and maybe if you only make it halfway, yeah. it's, it's kind of, you know, so um, <laughs> I've always lived by that. If you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. We had a dream. We were, we were very fortunate. We, we attracted investors quite early on. Um, a core group of investors are still with us and, and once they were on board we, we then set up having the background of distribution one yeah. thing well a few, a few things I think I know firstly as a strategist you know you can think you can't necessarily do so you need to surround yourselves with, with people that, you, that can do yeah. and I had that with the technical team so um, yeah you know it's there's always something you can learn from those guys and, and more importantly kind of coordinate their knowledge to, to make it all work. Um, yeah, and the second thing that I knew was we needed a, a strong distribution partner uh, yeah. to penetrate the country. That, uh, and um, we were very fortunate um, through Solly Kramer from Norman Goodfellows introduced us to, to um, Tim Hutchinson from Douglas Green. And um, yeah, so, you know, that, that immediately allowed us to dream big because we knew that we could sell big yeah. and we could distribute big. And, um, and bef <clears throat> before we go down that <clears throat> that uh, discussion, just, I mean, maybe some lessons from, I mean, how do you raise funds when you when you got nothing? I mean, you obviously started a brand, you contract brewed it, at a couple of breweries and that proved that you had a business model and that you could make beer and sell beer or didn't mm. you have to sell beer? No, we still had to sell beer. To, to, um, to prove a point? Yeah. yeah. No, we, we, we had to sell it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I suppose life's too short to drink bad beer. Yeah. So, um, so we, we had that in place. But you still got to raise money and, and, and the basics of building a business, it doesn't matter whether you plan to make soap or whether you plan to make beer or something yeah. more exotic, you've still got to have the fundamentals of a business plan in place. Um, we were lucky also, I was lucky to be introduced to Brendan Grundling from Standard Bank quite early on who was doing a lot of the modelling for Standard Bank on the craft industry okay. and whether it was something they should be in. And... Um, but obviously, I'd, I'd always been involved, not only as a strategist, but as a business developer in um, putting businesses together. Mm. So, you know, I, I had that background. So that wasn't new for you? Yeah. So, um, And we sort of met for the first time, I think it was at the Joburg Festival of Beer. That's right. The one that's from the Cape. Yes. Martin's one, the one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and then we met again at uh, Capital Craft, I remember. Yes. And uh, you did look a little bit lonely. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't that lonely. Sue, my wife, was with me, so it wasn't that lonely. But we were. That first capital craft funny actually was a, a, a huge, huge lesson for us. You know, we were, we were 
put around in a corner, and it wasn't a lonely corner. It was actually actually a very busy corner because we had the Belgian beer company next to us. Right next door, yeah, um, with a long queue. With a very long queue. In fact, we sold 11 uh, kegs of really? Brickfields that day. Um, and we sold probably nine of those kegs to people in the Belgium queue, <laughs> waiting, <laughs> waiting an hour for their beer. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that was an important lesson. Uh, yeah. I always remember, I often tell the anecdote of, of somebody coming up to me at that fair and asking me, why are you here? And I said, well, we're selling beer. And they said, yes, but, but why are you selling a lager? Yeah. And I said, well, that's what we have. And they said, but a lager is not a craft beer. Yeah, okay. You know? And I knew then there was a lot, there was a lot more work to putting together a beer business than just having a nice name and having even a decent product. That, yeah. that it, you really had to come with a total package. Yeah. Um, and included it, with it marketing and 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 education, telling people that you know beer's more than what you perceive it to be. Yeah. But it's also an important lesson, and I, and we've tried to do that with Red Rock. Is is um, we try to make beer that, that people want to drink rather than beer that we want to make. Okay, and I mean, we've got a... And I think it's been part of our success, but it's also been one of the things we've crit been criticised for. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Uh, um, yeah, you, before you, you go down there, tell us a little bit then, Solly Kramer, Tim Hutchinson, and that, yep. how long did that kind of take for you to pull it off? That relationship actually gelled very quickly. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it was very quick. I mean, we met for lunch a couple of times and uh, it, it was instant that this was a relationship. It was going to work. It was going to work. Yeah. So, and and one, one often knows that straight away. Yeah. And, um, look, I could say to, to, to the people out there listening, we, we went down many many blind alleys okay. uh, we went blind down many well lit alleys because yeah. um, <laughs> you make it sound easier than it was sometimes we didn't even find the alleys I okay. can tell you um, and, I, and I think that's one of the important things and one of the things I've loved being back in this industry the film industry was a bit like that as well where everybody competes yeah. but we're all mates okay. and uh, I've always been a firm believer in stronger together yeah. a bit of a cliche but I do think it, it it's true of the craft beer industry in South Africa. We are stronger together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I mean, the number of people who came up to me and gave me a lesson unwittingly and, you know, shared things and mm. we tried this and it didn't work and, well, we're seeing you starting this and we had this experience. I mean, the willingness to share is, mm. is huge. And, uh, you know, Can you give an example? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you just take the guys that are supplying us with um, raw ingredients, you know, or other brewers. Mm. Um, earlier this year, I mean, I made a phone call to um, Wolfgang at CBC, and, you know, we were trying to filter our vice beer, and we, Wolfgang, he doesn't know me, really, you know, we met, we compete, but he gave me half an hour on the phone, Yeah, you know. Um, and there's numerous examples of that. Mm. Um, the, the guys that sell ingredients, they don't just sell ingredients, they sell knowledge and they sell expertise. Yeah. Sometimes one just has to listen, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, even yourself. Yeah. I mean, even yourself, you know more about selling craft beer in the retail space than, than I do. Uh, 
we were with you the other day with with Mike at Thompson Hillcrest. Mm. Um, that's an hour. That's an hour of going uh, to school that I didn't necessarily pay for, <laughs> you know. Um, but if but if you treat them in the right way, those interactions are hugely valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, going back, I mean, just a couple of minutes in the conversation. I mean, raising the money. Um, guy that I gymmed with, you know, he, he kind of overheard it, overheard the enthusiasm, and kind of said, hey, I'm in the private equity space, you know, can I help? You know, these, these are things you're not, you don't turn down. He said, oh, I can raise the money for you in a few days. Mm. I was skeptical, but he did. Okay. You know, and, and so, yeah, you know, life has a way of, of popping up opportunities in the most unexpected places. So, yeah. I mean, if you'd asked me five years ago, would I be sitting here talking to you about craft beer, I would have said probably not. You yeah. know. Well, I certainly would have laughed it all off. I mean, I thought I was the biggest skeptic yeah. about craft beer and all these poor guys that can only make five cases and all look like hillbillies and don't understand that there's a, there's a real business out there. Well, you know, I think I think everybody, and that's what's one of the nice things, is we're all so different, and we're all in the in the game for different reasons. Yeah. And some of us are in it for the game, and some of us are in it for the fun, and some of us are in it for the business, and um, some of us have got a small amount of money invested, and others have got their life savings invested. Mm. And um, that's what's so nice about it, is, is everybody's different. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, and, and everybody's friendly, generally. You know, um, uh, I personally think, I mean, there are, there are a lot less people who I've fought with in this industry than in other businesses yeah. I've been involved with. Or, you know, maybe people are just more compliant in this <laughs> industry. <laughs> but I haven't. I, I've, had, I've had, I had good fun, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're down here. I'm down in Durban at the moment. We've been going around, seeing the local industry, talking to them, not only talking to them to see if you get big enough come and contract brew up at Red Rock but also just learning yeah. you know, understanding the Durban market uh, or the KZN market and and nobody's yet said to be pissed off back to Job yeah. they, they all just open their hearts and their minds and uh, talk Yeah, you mentioned Wolfgang I mean I can clearly remember when I did research for the beer book I had appointments with quite a few brewers, but not with Wolfgang. Um, and when I got landed in Cape Town, one or two of the brewers said to me, oh, sorry, we're too busy to see you. When I, phoned Wolf, when I messaged Wolfgang, he, he phoned me and said, dude, can you come and see me today? And I yeah. said, sure. When I arrived, showed me everything, and he said, where do you want to go next? And I said, well, I've heard there's a little brewery in Franschhoek. He said, come, let's jump in my car. And I'll take you there. Yeah. Unfortunately, his phone rang and he swore and he said, shit, I should have put my phone off. And it was, it was an important call and he had yeah. to get out. But he was prepared to take me to in, introduce me to the brewers in Franschhoek. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a business to run and he was prepared to do that. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of those guys around. Well, I think so. And I mean, internationally, worldwide, there's, you know, there's two sides to the industry. There's, and we, we're both sides. We make our own beer and we sell our own beer, and then we also contract brew for, for other people. Yeah. And um, and that's not just a business opportunity. It's it's enabling other people to get into the industry. 
I'm a firm believer in assisting people. We we had a Red Rock last week. We had the um, IBD meeting yeah. um, at our offices. We opened it up. I mean, we've got a, a big space and um, we, we want to support the industry. But a lot of the smaller group, brewers, they arrive with their bottles of whatever and they want, you know, because that's part of that opportunity, that socializing and having other people taste it. And, um, and it's important to share learnings, I believe. It's, mm. not just, it's not just the commercial side of it. The, yeah. the industry is some... You know, we're not, we're not fighting each other. I honestly don't. I mean, sure, at the, at the sales front, I mean, my sales reps are going to fight as hard for a, a share of the gravity fridge as anybody else. Hopefully harder. Hopefully. But, but, but when it comes to and the other parts of Hopefully there's more of them. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> there's more of them. But, but when it comes to sharing knowledge and, and making good beer, because mm. I think that's... That's at the end of the day that will be the success of the craft industry. Yeah. It will be the fact that we all make good beer. Yeah. Um, we might have different interpretations of what a good beer should taste like, but the industry will really mature and will take off when we're all making good beer and people perceive it as good. Yeah. They're prepared to pay the price, the, the um, premium for it. Um, and, and we'll all be at different premiums. We'll all be at different price ranges. Mm. But for now, that's, that's, we're not each other's opposition. You know, the opposition is winning the hearts and minds of consumers. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we'll do that better together. That's, yeah. Uh, honest, honest view. Um, how, how, is there a legal... Um, how, how do I say that? The word craft... Hmm. I've got a bit of a, an issue. Like other people complain about the word master brewer. I don't like the word craft. I mean, I like the word because I'm a marketer and a salesman and I'll sell anything I can. And if the word craft helps me, I'll use it. Now, in America, there's legal stuff about hmm. the word craft. Is there something like that in South Africa? No, not really. I mean, hmm. uh, we, we at Red Rock are not regarded by many people as craft. We're seen as a bit of an industrial mainstream product. Um, the product is deliberate. We're deliberately positioned in, the, in that space. We, we firmly believe that we want to take consumers away from mainstream beers yeah. um, and introduce them to craft so in a way where weaning beers, or as I always I call our IPA, our learner's IPA, yeah. um, rather than take people away from the typical craft, craft brewer. But there's no definition per se. I mean, I think in America it depends upon what size Sam Adams is at any one stage yeah. in, in so time. He does, he's um, kind of the... Yeah, I don't know whether they're six million barrels or something ridiculous. <laughs> uh, can't remember what the yeah. exact number is. But yeah, look, I mean, we, we are, we are in, in world terms, small. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, just what you sell is also small, just yeah. because you've got a big brew house doesn't make you... Yeah, well, you know, my view on big, uh, and I say to my staff all the time, is is don't be seduced by big. Because yeah. big is just that. It's just big. Yeah. Big doesn't make anything better. Better is better. So, yeah, we're bigger than other people. Are we better than other people? Well, the consumers will tell us. Certainly your bottling line is better than some of the other bottling lines, and I think that probably helps, though. Eh? Well, I think so. We, we, we put a lot of money into the bottling because uh, it's one of the areas where 
the smaller brewers tend to fall down. You're doing mm. the best you can, but but you, you're oxygenating and you're getting problems, yeah. and um, and the beer isn't lasting as long as it is. So uh, I think that's one of the things I often tell people is remember that the the brewery business is more than just brewing the beer. Yeah. You know, you've got to get it into a package, and you've got to do that in such a way that it lasts, and and it stays. Uh, the same experience for a consumer the day after you've made it as however many uh, days or months or years that you want to put on your bottle, mm. or, I mean, whatever date you choose on your your rubber trodate stamp, I mean, yeah. it, it's got to last, otherwise you do, you do yourself and you do the industry as a service. So, yeah. And that comes back to what is craft, I mean I think craft for me is more of an attitude. You, know, um, you can be small uh, and you know, if you're going to just do things slapdash and whatever, well, then are you a craftsman? Probably not. Yeah. You know, my grandfather was a carpenter. That's how he came out from Scotland to this country. Um, you know, I grew up, my mother, mother, grandfather was a printer. You know, these, these were craftsmen. They worked with their hands. They made things. They were, it wasn't good enough unless it was perfect, yeah. you know. And... Um, and so I think that's that for me is much more of a definition. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, where we sit at Red Rock, somebody said to me the other day, oh yeah, but there's just been a big festival and you haven't been invited to, you know, why not? And I, I said, well, why would I get invited? I make a beer that is kind of just off mainstream. Mm. Um, it's got lots of flavor. Some of our beers have got great flavor. They, they're really good for a certain market. But if I'm going to drive all the way to down into the free state to go to beer, why would I want to drink a lager? I do want to drink a hazelnut something or other, or okay, a yeah. double imperial IPA. And so does or, your son, then. Yeah, so <laughs> does my son. In fact, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good touchstone for me as to, <laughs> as, as to what 20-year-olds are drinking in craft. Yeah. 20-year-olds with money. Uh, it's not to say he has a lot of money, but, but uh, he takes his, his barman earnings and puts it into craft beer, which I suppose is a better thing you could than other things but yeah. Um, yeah you know but that's a case in point you know uh, w- what is he buying with his hard earned 40 bucks he wants to buy something that is special that is different that is unique um, much like anything and which he probably can't buy and that he can't buy elsewhere yeah yeah so um, yeah he actually actually spent um, 40 of those bucks on on, on one of the uh, um, Natalie's hazelnut beers and brought it back to me and said, yeah, Dad, <laughs> <laughs> learn from this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, I think, I think craft is an attitude. It's, it's, it's not about size. It's definitely not about size. And how do you, I mean, how do you guys keep that attitude? Is it, it must be hard in such a big organization. Are you part of DGB and the sales force of 100 people? Wine, wine people, it must be hard. Um, no, it is hard, but all business is hard. Yeah. You know, all business is waking up every day. It's probably even harder not to have any salespeople. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder. Um, it's, you know, when we, when we put together the brewery and, and we were in Lindborough Park and uh, it's a high employment area, but it's also an area where a lot of, unemployed people look for work and so we were inundated with CVs and and nobody had ever had any experience in brewing I mean the, the easiest thing for me would have been to go and sit outside SAB and Heineken 
and ask people coming off shift if they wanted to come work for me. But we couldn't afford those people. So we made a decision that we would hire Attitude. Um, you know, and Attitude's a, a very small and simple word, but it's a big concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and we interviewed about 100 people to fill 14 positions. But it was all about, do you have the right attitude? And I always remember one, uh, I mean, she runs the back end of our, of our line now. Um, she'd been retrenched. Um, and instead of sitting around moping, and she tried to get work, and she had her CV out, but instead of sitting around moping, she went off and volunteered at the uh, local clinic, uh, paid for herself to train as an ambulance assistant. You know, she had been in first aid in her previous job. And and then obviously we came across her CV, and that's apart from the fact that I needed a first aider in the brewery. The attitude of of just not giving up, uh, keeping going, and and while I've got free time, let me go and donate to the community was something that mm. that, that we wanted strongly. So we had other people. There's two or three other people that had enrolled in part-time degrees, un- unemployed or scratching a living without a full-time job, but still trying to lift themselves up and improve themselves. So those are the kind of people that, that we started off employing. Well, total, I mean, in fact, our total workforce. So, and that makes, it, that makes it easier to stay on that, on that uh, plane that you've decided to be on when, when your people are there and are enjoying their work. And it's not to say we got it 100% right, we haven't. We've uh, lost two people along the way, um, where the attitude was perhaps a bit more superficial than, uh, than we would have liked. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, but it's not easy. It, it, it may be fun doing, it might be a nice business. It's, it's a hell of a lot more fun than making soap, I think. Yeah. But the basics of business, day in, day out, you still have to do. You can't, you can't skip those because I'm making craft beer. Mm. You know. Craft beer doesn't give you a license to. In fact, probably ironically, we're making a, a product that people drink. We have to be more strict about those things than it's food than other things. Mm. It's food. Yeah. yeah. You, I mean, I can remember when just at a critical time, when you were just about to start, you your brewer had a big accident. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And how did that affect affect the whole launch? And <coughs> well gave us a lot of uh, late nights but I mean I'm, I've been flipping because I mean Wade ended up losing his legs so oh, really? you know um, it was far more tragic for him and, and I mean the, the sad sad reality is you, you can't work in a small brewery even if he'd been on a prosthesis for three years it's just yeah. it's just not fun so we had brewed our first beers that was um, 20th of June I think last year and we were in the process of getting ready for, for startup packaging. So it was an absolutely critical time oh. for us. I mean, that, that phone call on uh, yeah, Thursday morning at half or seven or whatever was in our terms, as I say. Oh, oh, we had a crisis. Mm. Um, he, he had an even, we had a life-changing moment. You know, we just had a production crisis. Yeah. But again, we were fortunate. We, we, we'd chosen Bracon as our international supplier. And uh, I phoned, it must have been 9 o'clock, uh, Christian Nuber at Brocken, and I said, listen, this is what's happened. Um, 
I'm in, I'm in trouble because although I've got a rudimentary knowledge of this machinery and I can probably scratch my way through, I really don't, you know, not competent to continue and we've got to get beer out and we're in the middle of brewing and all sorts of things. So Christian said to me, look, two things. Number one, we will, our 24-hour helpline, which is all staffed by brewers, will log on to your system now and we will be with you mm. to, on the computer okay. and on the phone and Skype and whatever. Second thing is, he says, we've got a, a, a youngster, Andre Biller, who's just finishing a job in Vermont. Uh, he finishes uh, tomorrow. We'll put him on a plane tomorrow, fly him to Munich, train him on Sunday on your system, and put him on a plane to you on Sunday night, <laughs> which they did. Okay. So Monday morning, um, Andre was with me, and he was there for uh, three weeks. Uh, quickly doing some catch-up training for myself and everybody else. And that's not something that Gordon then, could do. Sorry? That and that's not something that Gordon Ding could do. Well, no, Gordon stepped in. I mean, okay. uh, when I phoned Gordon to say, look, Wade's had this terrible accident, he said, I'll be there. Mm. And he climbed in his car from the other side of Pretoria and drove to Tillenborough Park, and he was with me for three weeks, mm -hmm. every single day at the... Mm -hmm. at, at, 78 years of age, climbing up and down the brewery steps and hoiking things around, and yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and he was shattered at the end of it. But, but that's that's where we were fortunate, you know. And then, and then of course we were very fortunate that um, Matthew and now now Bruce for us um, pitched up on our doorstep a week later, looking for a job. Oh really? I mean, it was it, as I said right at the beginning. It was synchronicity, you know. He was out there, a uh, youngster. Again, um, honours student at, at varsity, couldn't get a job, engineering. Um, and um, had taken himself off and gone and done the IBD exams off his own bat, just out of you know desperation to improve himself. He'd done a bit of work at Swagger, as holiday internship, so he knew that he wanted to be in this sort of space. So, so, yeah, so he'd, on his own bat, and I, I presume with his money or his parents' money, gone and done the registration and written the first two exams so we took him on board and um, yeah and it's that attitude that now nearly a year later has, has made him an integral part of the team and a very important part of our success um, so, um, I, I think going back many questions and what makes craft and what makes mm. it good and what doesn't what we've tried to do at Red Rock is, is it's not just about quality it's about consistency. That's probably the, the fundamental weakness mm. in the uh, craft industry in South Africa is, is quality. It's not to say people are making beers ranging from absolutely awful to excellent. Normally they're kind of in a close range, uh, but the trouble is the variability. Yeah. And um, not even the trouble, the, the, the weakness is variability. So the beer you get today might not be the same. I mean, it's something that SAB struggle with every day of their life as well. It's, you know, it's people want to know that if you're going to shell out 35, 40 bucks for a product that you're getting a consistent quality product. Yeah, I mean, for me, as uh, coming from the trade, it certainly is a big obstacle that nobody knows how to handle this whole yeah. craft thing. The brewers say treat it like milk, but I mean, that's easier said than done. We're not, we're not. Uh, supermarkets with daily deliveries you know we 
Uh, at Hillcrest, for example, we source our beer from all over the country. And, I mean, yeah. how do you treat milk from all over the country the same? And often uh, the beer arrives and fortunately there's a lot of goodwill and people give me a message or a phone call and say, dude, this beer, which we know arrived yesterday, is off. Yeah. And which is, I suppose, part of the charm of craft, but it's also part of the week. You know, it's a, it's a bit... Well, I, I think it is. If you look, and I'm going to revert back to my strategist mm. kind of hat, if you look at a company like SAB, they've got, I think, six or seven now, six now, massive breweries around the country. Mm. Now, if beer was something that could be made in a central place. A huge central factory like we want to do in this country with Eskim and whatever mm. else um, they would have done it yeah. but the reality is beer is a sensitive product it, it doesn't like to travel it doesn't like to be bounced around it doesn't like extreme heat um, it doesn't like much actually yeah. so so we, and we're all trying to take beer out of its own comfort zone we're we're all trying to go for national distribution or as wide a distribution as possible. Whereas, as you'll know, the American craft industry is very successful at a local level. Yeah. Um, and I, always, I always say to people, you know, um, Old Harbour down in um, Richard and James down at uh, Hermanus have yeah. probably got one of the best models mm. because every restaurant around there takes their beer. And, and probably exceeds how much they can make in a month. And mm. they do start to spread And they're reluctantly send some to Hillcrest. <laughs> to Hillcrest, because they, well, because they they simply got just yeah. too much local demand. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the ultimate model, yeah. and that's how the American industry... Well, mm. In fact, if you, if you look now at the European and the, the British industry, where age-old breweries that have been there for a couple of hundred years are now branding themselves craft, the mm. word both of us perhaps don't like it. Um, but no is necessary. Um, they've always sold into their local mm. local area. You know, we are trying to kind of do everything that um, experience in America, and then big guys like SAB and that are, are telling us we shouldn't be doing is to go for national distribution or yeah. as wider distribution as possible. So, yeah, it, it has its has its problems, and you you live with that problem. Mm. And then, you know, coupled with guys doing the best they can with limited equipment and maybe not be able to get shelf life. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of my bugbears and the thing that probably annoys me most is going into a store like Hillcrest and seeing a beer that's got a six-month or a nine-month or a one-year shelf life on it, you know. I mean, hell, if SAB can't give you more than three months, we don't do anything better. Yeah. And, and it's not to say everything they make is better, but there are, are lessons that you can do. Yeah. And... All you know with those beers is they're going to sit on the shelf and somebody's eventually going to buy them and have a bad experience and say, I don't like this craft stuff. It's yeah. horrible or it's off or it's always off or, you know. Um, yeah, I can, I mean, and maybe we are at fault at, at Hillcrest for wanting to have so many different beers. And, I mean, a story when, when I worked for the Funks at Bavaria Brau in the, in the 90s, I mean, whenever there was a visitor from Germany, one of the directors, whether it was Prince Leopold of mm. Bavaria or the guy from um, Dr. Oetker, one of the, yeah. the chairman was a director, and I mean, they say, you're crazy. How can you sell beer in Cape Town? you little brewery in Joburg yeah. or Pretoria, and you're selling beer in Cape Town. We don't even sell beer in Cape Town. I mean, if, yeah. if they're in Munich, they're not. 
selling beer in Hamburg and they're not trying to. Yeah. Um, I think it's changed a little bit in Germany. I mean, the, the big regional brewers have become national brewers, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's still a challenge, and it's, it's yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, the small brewers should really focus on their own little market and, and own that, I guess. Well, I think it's own it. I mean, I, I, we were ambitious, as you pointed out, and, mm. and you, want to be, you want to be bigger. Uh, you want to be better. But sometimes by trying to be better means to be smaller mm. um, or at least get the basics right before you start going bigger. And um, yeah, I mean, that's one of my bugbears. I mean, sell-by dates is one of my bugbears. We're not all as fortunate as I am to have a sales force. Mm. Um, but but sell-by dates, an important, uh, it, it's hugely important. I mean, you know, beer is best the day it leaves the brewery and thereafter every single day it's deteriorating and... Um, and uh, and I think, you know, being with Mike and you the other day at Hillcrest, it was a huge lesson to me on where also the, the, the retailers have to take ownership of their stock mm. as well. And they they have to stock rotate. And there's, you know, you guys have got a program and there where you naturally stock take and you, you watch it quite carefully. And, and, and that's where possibly as an industry we need to get closer. And, you know, um, we don't have a lot of clout. That's the problem, yeah. you know. If you're up against pick and pay, you have no clout as a small guy. You're lucky to be in there. To be honest, you don't even have clout with your local tops guy. You don't. Uh, you no. know, so if he takes you, you just gratefully does. If he wants two cases, you're just grateful for the two cases of revenue. Um, but it's one of my things, um, and it goes back to to just running a business. Is you know you. You have to watch those things. You've got to look at stores. You've got to look at your sales every day and say, gee, this guy hasn't taken a, uh, a case for two months. Now, one of it is around a sales call. But for me, more importantly, it's around a quality call. Because mm. if he hasn't taken four beer for two months, you know that the beer that he has got is, is that much older. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's one of the things I've been doing down now in, in Durban for three days is going around and pulling beer out of stock. And um, it's a shit job we have, you know, got to go taste beer all the time. Mm. But tasting that beer against the template that's in my mind, or at least on my palate, and saying this beer is aging fine or it's not, mm. um, and then making a call about what we have to do. Do we have to start promoting it? Do we have to uh, start running specials? Um, because one thing we are categoric about when it when it does reach its sell by date, it gets pulled from trade. Yeah. Um, and, and for us at Red Rock, we're coming up to nine months. We put nine months on our bottle, so it's a critical period for me now, is to make sure that none of that beer is still in trade. Okay. Um, and and that which is seven months or six months old is still tasting mm. within the parameters. Uh, and then the danger is that it could have gone through the distributor in Kimberley and. Yeah, you could have shipped it into... <laughs> and bounced around. Well, Durban's not so bad, but I mean, I've just come back from Cape Town last week doing the same thing, because yeah. there it's bounced around through the Karoo. Yeah. Uh, this year we were fortunate. It wasn't very hot. Um, but if you think a year ago, you know, February, March, April, I mean, it was bouncing around through the Karoo for 14 hours at 40, 50 degrees. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to know a lot about beer to know that it's come out the other side not tasting anything vaguely... Um, and I'm not saying it like, like we're unique. Uh, mm. All of the big breweries that I know and a lot of the smaller breweries have the same um, 
fanatical focus on quality, not only what's coming out of the brewery, but what's being sold. Yeah. Um, and and most of the good distributors as well that are out there sh have or should have the same yeah. quality ethic okay. and consistency ethic, because yeah. that's what it goes back to. So, I mean, the, can we talk a bit about the brand? Is that a, yeah, a DGB thing? or was no, it, I can talk about it. Um, I mean, how much part of the brand are you still? Is there... Still very much part of, of the brand. Um, you know, the day-to-day -day marketing stuff, I don't get terribly involved. I was obviously involved in the development of Red Rock as a name, yeah. which wasn't very complicated. It was, we were in a brainstorm and it got mentioned and everybody said, well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, we hadn't yet done the Google search to work out. There was a big one in Salt Lake City. But anyway, we decided that wasn't too much of a problem. Actually, a small one in Devon and... In the, in the UK as well. Uh, and then we looked at the landscape and said, gee, nobody's really using music to promote craft beer. Um, and, and I've always enjoyed music and everybody else seemed around the room and the agency seemed to enjoy music. So we kind of went down a, a musical theme and, you know, everybody threw their 10 cents in their hands. Mm. And, and then the, um, uh, the marketing team kind of took it and ran with it, you know, and we... We ended up with our five rock and roll themed um, uh, beers, and uh, you know, um, and and so our core range will be that, and we may go in different directions in the future. Um, yeah, you know, I, I did the beer development, obviously with yeah. Gordon. Yeah. We knew what we wanted to make. Okay. Um, so the we knew what we didn't want to make as well, which was equally as important. Um, you know, I learned an interesting lesson when I was at Devil's Peak the other day where um, Russell said to me that the success of the IPA is probably one of their biggest weakness because they don't want to be seen as an IPA brewing company. They want to be seen as a, you know, they want to sell lager. Yeah. And most people drink lagers. Now, you've been criticized in social media and everywhere else about your... What you call your your learner IPA? I learn IPA. Um, and I mean, how we how how's that going forward? Um, look, I, look. I think in in terms of our brands, I mean, we're we're unashamedly more towards mainstream than yeah. perhaps the traditional craft. Um, you know, I mean, the Devil's Peak Blockhouse. Not my words. I mean, uh, Professor Charlie Bamforth from UCLA. You know, at the IBD meeting in Mozambique a couple of years ago said one of the top ten IPAs, he thinks, mm. in the world. Probably something I concur with. Um, Californicator from Woodstock is one of my favorites. Yeah, but then I'm biased. I've got a very close relationship <laughs> with Andre and Woodstock. Um, yeah, a shameless plug, but I've just been down the, down the road here in Durban at East Coast and their, IPA, their new IPA. Is very nice too. Look, I think guys are making good beers. Yeah. We, that's what I said. We, we had to decide what beers we wanted to make, and we also had to decide what we didn't want to make. Mm. And what we didn't want to make was was an IPA like that. Not because we have anything against them or don't like them as beers. Can you just say it? You can make it if you want to. We can make it if we want to. <laughs> Watch the space. Watch the space. But. What we wanted to do was, was make something to, for, for the typical mainstream drinker 
who's heard about craft, maybe he's tried to block us and yeah. said, wow, that's way, way too far out there. Yeah. In fact, funny, funny little story. I mean, uh, Q and my national sales manager comes from SAB. And during his induction, I was kind of taking them through various beers, and one of them was Blockhouse. And it's the closest I've come in a tasting to some, have somebody spit it out. Okay. <laughs> Kieran will kill me for telling the story. But, but it just wasn't in his, in his palate or his mm. expectations of what a beer could possibly taste like. You know? um, and, and so we, we set out to make beers that would just move people an incremental step away from from mainstream, from mainstream. Okay. not to bring people back from other crops and not to take market from other mm. and, and yeah we were criticised for it and, and I, I think probably rightly so um, in the IPA's case um, we, we stated on the, on the back label that it's, it's an English style IPA and everything else but the reality that we've discovered is when people walk into the the bottle store and they're looking for an IPA and obviously we hit the shelves with a lot of fanfare they were disappointed with what mm. they tasted because it wasn't in their minds what an IPA should be which is a west coast IPA and I think we initially got our, our backs up a bit and said yeah but read the label but in reality some months later uh, we've got a very drinkable product, we've got a, a following in certain people where people love it um, and tell you never to change it but, you know, you know, business isn't around what people are telling you to do. It's mm. really responding to the market. And I, th I think valid criticism has been that our IPA is not an IPA, whether that's whatever your definition of IPA is. It's not what people expect it to do. So, mm. so we are, I can tell you now, exclusive even, that uh, we are looking at making something. It will be big. It, it will be the exact opposite of what we currently make. Okay. Yeah. Um, in a different and brand or in that bottle? It, it, will, it will probably be a Red Rock brand. It will okay. be a Red Rock brand. And, and, that will, and that will be to prove to people that, hey, listen, we, we don't do it because we, we don't want to do it, not because we can't do it. Yeah. I mean, we can't brew for enough um, people to know that we, we're competent in making beer. Yeah. Um, but, but that's been a good lesson, you know. I mean, for myself as a strategist, it's it's a trick I missed. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Can you can you tell us how, how many contract brewers or for how many people are you contract brewing? Can can you drop some names or is it confidential? I can't really drop okay. names because we do we are under confidential yeah. agreements. I mean, I think it's common knowledge, but but mm. let let your listeners rather go to yeah. the common the common knowledge pool. But but we. We set out to brew for most of the, the big um, brands in the country who didn't necessarily want to ship their beers to Joburg. Okay. Uh, and essentially the, the additional cost of brewing with us covers your transport, but the beer comes out fresher and unbounced and etc. Et it's a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah, so all of, all of the big guys. I mean, and, and you have to be fairly big to contract brew with us because we're a 15,000 litre batch. Um, we all do some work now on the, on the brewer house and on some of our um, brewing um, processes to look at maybe getting it down to a slightly smaller batch. We know the brewer house can do it. Uh, our obstacle is the louter ton. Um, but we think we can get it down to about maybe 10,000 10, litres. Okay. But still, 
still a lot of beer to sell. I have a call every week from, from somebody, smaller brewers or people who have a dream to be in the beer and can we, can we brew for them? Because there actually aren't a lot of hot chocolate brews. Mm. Um, it's actually one of the hot trends in Europe at the moment. Um, but, but I always say to people, I mean, you've, you've got no clue. They say, yeah, 15,000 litres, I can sell it easily. No, you can't. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. How much, how much would it cost to start a contract business? I mean, if you started, like, I think Michaela is a contract beer as far yeah. as I know. I mean, he's a rock star, but, I mean, if I wanted to start, start a brand of beer, how much money would I need to... to do you have to throw away? Do you have to throw? How big would the black hole be? <laughs> no, no, I don't look, it's... I mean, with packaging and branding and... Look, I think the, the first thing is, is you've got to decide what you're going to be in. So are you going to be in bottles or kegs? Yeah. And okay, those I are very bottles. different. If, you, if you're going to be in bottles, bottles or bottles, you know, we, mm. we buy them from console. You don't have to spend a lot except for what... But, you know, at our, at our level, you're talking about 35 to 40 thousand bottles mm. a brew maybe even up to well with no kegs maybe 45,000 bottles yeah. so you're looking at a hundred bar I mean a hundred thousand rand just there just okay. on the bottle yeah then put a label on it put a crown on it put it in a box looking around about eight rand a litre so um, yeah 120,000 rand just for the packaging maybe maybe more because you've got artistic costs and all of that about yeah. it uh, then you've got to buy the beer. Um, uh, you won't get much change out of a couple of hundred thousand rand. Yeah. yeah. But having said that, that's not a great barrier to entry, really, no, in not. the grander scheme of things. Because it's stuck. Yeah. But the barrier to entry is the size of it. And, and so the retail market is, is, I think, at the moment, maybe over 200 breweries. You probably know that better than me. Um, and retail space Red Rock, we now are in about 2,000 outlets. Wow. Um, really? <laughs> countrywide. Well, when you, yeah. when, when you pick up checkers and tops yeah. and pick and pay and, okay. and macro, you, you get a huge number of outlets yeah. that come with it. Um, but, but you're not getting traction in every one of yeah. those outlets. You've got stock in there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, to, to, brew the, to brew the beer is easy. You've then got to get it out. You've got to sell it. You've got to convince people to drink it. Um, and if you're not doing another batch quite soon, you've just got an aging aging beer getting worse and worse tasting. So, uh, but, but compared to other businesses, not a very high barrier to entry, so long as you do all the rest of the things. But yeah. I, I, I would probably say you could, you could get through a bar very quickly. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're probably still... And there are guys, I mean, launching it off. I mean, I met Eben from Three Stags the other day, and I mean, you know, and I met him at eight o'clock at night at a. We were actually at a, at a launch. Um, there he is at eight o'clock at night, you know, delivering his beer after the day job. I think, yeah. you know, so it, it's not easy. No. So, but you know, we do it because we love the industry. You know, I mean, I know my eyes light up when I talk about beer. Yours, yours do. Uh, everybody I know, I mean, if the eyes aren't lighting up, they're in the wrong place. Definitely. Yeah, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. So, but yeah, look, it's not, it's not cheap, but it's, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than uh, starting your own brewery. And, and 
I think it's coming. I think you'll probably see in the future maybe some dedicated contract breweries. Uh, I know Brauchon, I mean, back in Germany, because they had Canberra Brewery, which was their, their technical development place and where they tried out technologies, but they also made their own brand. Mm. And now they've moved into their own uh, brewery, Canberra Brewery, and now that, that brewery is now run as a separate business called Renta Brewery. Okay. And um, there are all the so-called gypsy brewers around yeah. uh, Europe who don't own breweries but move from place to place and brew their beer. Mm. Um, you, and and, and Canberra now is, yeah. you get there, you've got a, a brewer who runs the equipment, uh, another person in the cellars, another one runs the packaging, and you hire the brewery. Mm. You know, when I, when I was in the movie industry, we were filmmakers, but we didn't own equipment. We owned skills. Yeah. We hired cameramen, we hired sound editors, we are hired sound men, we are hired makeup artists, wardrobe people, and we hired the cameras and the edit suites and everything else. So it's quite a nice model, you know, the, the film industry and and because that's the other thing with the film industry. Everybody in the film industry walks around with these starstruck eyes all the time because they just love waking up in the morning to, to go and make movies. I mean who who wouldn't like that? Yeah. And it's hard work. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a very creative field, so, and that's I think the same with us. And I think brewing, and certainly what I'm seeing that, that internationally, it's going to go a bit like that as well. You have facility houses, mm. facility breweries that will rent you yeah. the, the, the space. I mean, certainly, if you were around 20 years ago, I would I would have been uh, I would have owned my own brand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't possible then, and the Funks wouldn't do it for me. They did it for Laurentina, old yeah. uh, for George Pagan. Yeah. They brewed or they labelled Bavaria as, as Laurentina, but it wasn't very common then. But uh, I mean, guys like uh, Jack Black, Ross, and yeah. and Darling are all. I mean, they all come from that background, and uh, you know, they're very successful. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I personally think. I mean, why you you started off saying you're the rock star in the industry? I mean, I personally think one of the rock stars in our industry is is Chris from Boston. Below the radar. Below the radar, but if you look at all the big brands that have started their life at Boston, yeah, how many? You know, yeah, I don't need to name them. Everybody <laughs> knows them, and um, they all started there. Yeah, and he gave them all all the. Even ourselves, I mean, Brickfields, we were, we were very fortunate that a, a peewee at Brewhogs did the original brews for us. And then um, uh, I didn't want to move it to the Cape. And then Andre at Woodstock took over and brewed for us. So, you know, even for us, we owe our start to, to exactly people who were generous enough yeah. to open up their breweries to, to other people. Yeah. Um, so, and I, that's why I like the industry. I mean, the industry is generous of spirit. Yeah. But there is still a stigma attached to it. I mean, if you see a new BNR, the first thing you want to ask is, where's your brewery? And if it's not your own brewery, you kind of give them the skiff eye. Yeah, well, I don't move in your circle, so we... <laughs> we I, I, I certainly don't have that. Okay. You know, if somebody says to me, look, our contract brew is such and such, mm. I'm kind of going, oh, well, that's cool. I mean... Because they uh, still get to decide the recipe and, and all the... Yeah, and I mean, we have people, we, we, we do a lot of contract brews. Mostly guys come to us with recipes. On a few occasions, we help people develop mm. recipes. We've got those skills. Um, you know, I have the ability, unfortunately, Gordon has the time to, to help people, not free of charge, because we don't, 
giveaway. You know, if somebody's not prepared to pay for something right up front, they're probably not worth spending the time mm. on. Um, but you take that on a case by case basis anyway. So, yeah, um, yeah you know, if somebody came, look, I mean, I think the beer industry is the place to be, but I know nothing about it, and uh, you know, you guys must do everything. We wouldn't say yes because making money is not the right passion, mm. you know. But if I've got this idea and I love this beer, and I mean, I had a guy and he came and he brought me three or four beers and he said, these are the beers I really love. And, you know, and I like them because of this and this and this. And can you help me develop something? Then, you know, I, I've actually taken him on as a bit of a project just because I like him and I like his attitude and I like where he's trying to trying to take it. Yeah. Um, so. so have you had any interesting overseas guys knock on your door, the McKellas of this world, or not? No, not as yet. I mean, we, we've, we've had people knock on the door for, for brewing locally. I mean, especially when the... The rand was very weak, uh, yeah. 17 to the euro, and it's costing a lot of money to float beer across the water from yeah. Europe or wherever. But no, not as yet. I mean, we haven't I mean, really I, been open to those discussions okay. as yet. Uh, I, I mean, I remember clearly when you said to me, when I introduced somebody to you, and you said to me, there's no way you can match yeah. that price of the... the, the Cheap brewers in Europe are much cheaper than than you. Well, they well they are. I mean, um, brewing is is essentially a uh, a volume game, mm. um, and and I think unfortunately because we don't generally brew in high volumes, even ourselves. I mean, mm. even at fifteen thousand liter batches, we're still not at volume. No. You know, uh, so and when you think of the the smaller guys, you're definitely not at volume. So. So your, your beer tends to be expensive. Um, because it's expensive, it ends up being sold expensive, and that then limits the the volume even further. Mm. And so you, you live in this little self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and at some stage, you um, you have to break out of that and kind of decide where you want to be. If you're going to be premium and super premium, um, then you have to deliver a super premium product. But you can't just say, because my cost of production is expensive, Therefore, I have to sell it at a premium price. It doesn't. Life doesn't work like that. Retail doesn't like, work like that. And consumers aren't that stupid. <laughs> you know, you know, you work in the retail space. So, I think that's going to be one of our challenges going forward: is how we bring down cost of. We are at the bottom tip of Africa. We're a long way from from the major markets for our raw materials, for our equipment. So it's expensive. Our cost yeah. of production, like anything, is expensive. So all your all your ingredients are imported. Ours, ours generally are. We yeah. we use imported malt. Um, yeah. Obviously, we use the SAB hops. Okay. It's that great quality. Um, really great quality. And is it I, much I don't cheaper? have the same view about their malt, uh, about SAB's malt, but SAB's hops are mm. superb, uh, and half to a third of the price of international hops. Um, but we import that. Obviously, we import our yeasts and mm. um, all the rest of it. Yeah. And in terms of the brands, which way are you finding tractions? Is there one one style that's selling better than the others? Look, our lager is is probably more than twice any other brand. Okay. It just is still easy to sell a lager. It's it's easy to sell a lager. Um, it. It's not easy to make a lager. No. Going back to my capital craft thing earlier where people say, why are you lager? Yeah. Um, 
it, it's not easy to make a lager. There's no, nothing to hide behind. Um, so it's probably the hardest beer to make, and it's the one that really says, you know, it's the one that earns your third stripe on your mm. on your arm. Um, and South Africans love it. We, we like our beers cold, especially in the casting. Cold, refreshing, takeaway first. Um, but we get traction in the strangest places. I mean, as I said to you, I've just been down now in Scotra um, in a pub, and uh, the manager says to me, we can't get enough of your vice beer. Really? Yeah. But, but, that's, but that's been another lesson, Holger. I mean, we've seen a massive uptick in our vice sales since the, since SAB launched Carvers. Can you believe it? Um, and it's quite simple. SAB has used their marketing muscle to tell the South African consumer that there's this beer called vice. I mean, as people who are in the craft industry, we think everybody must know there's a beer called a vice, but the reality is 95% yeah. of beer drinkers don't know. So SAB has now done us all a favor of spending gazillions of rands on telling people about vice and by the way it's cloudy and you shake it and you do this and that with it and, you know because it's cloudy doesn't mean it's badly made mm. which is what we've been trying to tell people forever um, and as a result of that so now people try it and now they start experimenting and now they say okay well here's one called Steph Vice or here's CBC's Amber Vice or here's Red Rock's Bad Moon let me try that and so we've seen a definite uptick. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think the, the guys making flavoured beers, um, as Belgians with a long queue, mm-hmm. um, saw the same thing on the back of SAB spending an absolute fortune on flying fish a couple of years yeah. ago. You know, telling South African beer consumers it's okay to have nachi or tangerine or peach or whatever in a beer. Mm. Um, so you know. They're certainly the best sellers at the festivals, and I mean, also the local guys are. I mean, you can certainly see that all the flavoured beers at the festivals make up yeah. a big volume of the sales. Well, and, the, and it's it's the hot trend internationally at the moment. Um, people are playing with flavours. So they've all we've all played with the traditional flavours. We can all make multi beers. We can all make very hoppy beers. Uh, can't really. We kind of leave that to Heineken. The really estery kind of. Uh, but we could do that. We, we can develop beers with big esters and that sort of thing. But but a lot of people are playing now with the flavours and, um, and and what's nice. I mean, when I was down in the Cape now, people aren't just playing with concentrates that you know go and buy some Oros from Pick and Pay and throw it in your beer and call mm. it orange flavour. They they're out there working with the fruit farmers and they they uh, one brewer that we met. I mean, in these blending his own fruit to get his own particular taste and, and there's other guys here in Durban now working with um, with zests and um, you know peels and mm. trying different work with, with guys around dehydration and levels of dehydration and you know what, what to, so I think it's such an exciting industry we've got so much to learn so. yeah. and the consumer's got so much to learn yeah. um, so How's your draft beer going? Have you managed to get a few outlets? Yeah, we've got a lot of outlets. Um, Look, draft is a tough sell. Um, Principally because of the real estate you need to to secure. So pubs, you know, you need a meter and a half under the counter to put in a typical installation with the kegs and everything else. So um, 
if, if somebody's already in there, the, the sad truth is you've got to displace somebody or not. Yeah. Um, and the big guys already have a lot of that space taken up. Um, I mean, the big guys as a mainstream, but also the big guys as in the first movers. Yeah. I mean, first mover advantage in draft is, in draft is huge. Yeah. So it's... I think I think from a business planning point of view, it's something we thought we'd roll out a lot easier than, than yeah. we have. But we've still got a hundred odd installations okay. in our country. Well, some very successful, some not. Because mm. um, it, draft has its own complication. You've only got so much. You've got a shelf life, and then you've got a shelf life once you've cracked it. Yeah. And you've got to get through it, otherwise. And, and it's it's very hard to tell a. A pub owner to now take it off the tap because it's been there for seven days, yeah. and it's still got ten liters left. But that's your fault for not selling it fast. <laughs> um, so drafts, but but draft is 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 one of the ways into consumers' hearts. I mean, we always say if you can get it on their lips, you'll you'll get them to start buying it. Yeah. So, um, and draft is one of those ways. Yeah, it certainly changed a lot. I mean, when I started and. We launched Bavaria Draft. SAB's attitude was really, really bad, and they just launched a 12 and a half liter keggy system. Can you remember that? Mm. Um, so we just we just took over all the abandoned Castle Draft installations and installed Bavaria, and yeah. SAB lost that one six love. Uh, yeah. And uh, but I mean the the landscape has changed tremendously. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's. I mean, I was one today, and I mean, the guy said, I'd love to take your beer, but where do I put it? Mm. Yeah. You know. Um, and, you know, he's, he's not big enough to kind of start saying to him, okay, well, you, what you need, to, you actually need to graduate from this behind-counter stuff to your it's own cold room. room. Yeah. And, and then it makes, frees up more space, gives you more of an option. Um, because he probably couldn't afford it, and we couldn't afford it. So, and and draft is expensive. That's what people forget. If you want to be in draft, you've got to own the kegs to start off with. Yeah. And, and probably at minimum at least four four times as many kegs as is on tap at any one stage. Then you've got to have the taps. Uh, and those taps have got to be serviced every three yeah. weeks. Um, yeah, it's not the place to start in the, in the So where can customers get your draft from? Is it from the tap room or is it from DGB? No, DGB is our principal okay. outlet, but then obviously DGB have a whole lot of sub-distributors, so we'll use people like Norman Goodfellows, um, Distrilic, okay. um, Johnny's Liquor, the, the Tap Room, etc. Et okay. yeah. right. yeah. And uh, the best place to buy, I mean, if you've got 2,000 outlets, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of places that can buy your beer. There's a Tops around the corner, there's a Macro down the <laughs> yeah. road, there's a Pick and Pay on, on yeah. every block. So you know, you listed we're in all checkers, those. we're in most of the places. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and not just necessarily in the major towns, also in, in very small towns. Which is uh, an opportunity because not everybody else can get there, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is where the big retailers are playing the game, you know. I mean, the, if the beer's good and if you can deliver consistently and you can satisfy all their criteria, you get to a point where they allow you to pop it into yeah. their distribution centres, and then it pops out all around the country. Mm. Um, and also the chain stores. I mean, I told you I was delighted when I was at the airport and I met with the guys from Dragon, yes. Dragon Ginger, and we were so happy to see somebody drinking your craft beers, and we ordered them, and yeah, 
I mean, not a lot of guys can get into those chains, I guess. Yeah, but, but you know, you, you've also got to be... It, look, I mean, if any lesson that SAB teaches you, especially with carvers, I mean, you've seen how fast it grew. The first, first thing, I mean, if you take Porter, Porter's classic four Ps, it has to be at a place, yeah. okay? Before you start off with anything else, it has to be at a place, yeah. okay? Then you can start, uh, you know, with the right price and the on promotion and all the rest of the of the piece. Uh, but it has to be somewhere. It has to be there, yeah. Um, but I, I, see a, I see a lot of guys, wherever you've got it, you need to follow through with promotion. Mm. Uh, not necessarily price. No. Look, your product's got to be good too. Of course. Um, people, it's easy, it's easy to pipeline fill. It's, it's the trick is emptying that pipeline <laughs> and then replenishing it yeah. and, and carrying it. And, 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 and that, takes, that takes a long time. Yeah. yeah it's not easy. Um, are you getting any traction in the main market? You know, we're starting to kind of play around there. I mean, if main market, look, certainly the so-called black diamond market, we see a bit of traction. Mm. Um, not main market per se. I mean, we haven't really pursued it, but we also know it's a price obstacle. Yeah. We, we contract groups some people who are playing around in that market, and it's a tough game. Yeah. You yeah. know, when you say price is an obstacle, we're talking about two rand is a, is a price mm. obstacle. Two rand a bottle. So, yeah, um, yeah. but... Again, there are, there are guys in our industry who, who have gone very much for a volume, volume at a lower margin strategy rather than you know, low volume, high, high margin. Uh, if you want to play in that game, you've got to be high volume, low margin. Yeah. Uh, and you must realize there's a whole whole industry built around distribution mm. to those outlets. It's not as simple as there, there is no central distribution. <laughs> well, there is, but there isn't. So, um, and, I, and let's face it, we're, we're only scratching the surface in the, even for ourselves, we're only just scratching the surface in terms of the total beer drinking population. Yeah. Um, so the main market is waiting, and that's why People say to me, you know, why have you invested in this industry? Why do you have so much confidence? Because there's there's a long way to go for mm. us. And, and as the breweries get bigger and as we start pushing out more and more and we get priced down, we will we'll penetrate those markets mm. very okay. clearly, yeah. Thanks, Ellen. And okay. just, just to, um, before we go, which is your favourite one of... of your beers of our beers or uh, which style do you like I mean are you uh... I personally um, like our Pilsner yeah uh, the Storm Rider Pilsner uh, but that's a personal choice uh, yeah. I, it's a very very dry beer and goes exceptionally well with typical South African kind of bry foods yeah you know the greasy lamb chop and uh, the burrovos <laughs> and that sort of stuff but okay. um, I, I think as, as a style probably uh, I think our vice beer is as, an, as a crystal vice, um, is, a, is a very drinkable product, and it's getting it's getting a lot of traction, and not just off the back of carvers. It's getting traction in a younger market who are coming out of a typical South African, and I've got um, my boys are t- 21 and 20, 
um, they've all grown up on typical South Africa Coca-Cola and their mm. first drinks were um, Smirnoffs or the Alcopops and the sweeter sweeter side so uh, our vice doesn't necessarily deliver the sweetness although we've got a lot of that wheat, typical wheat sweetness in it but what it, what it delivers is the absence of bitterness okay. just enough to balance it but not enough to have them screw up their, their noses there the, the typical reaction you get from a young girl, you know, drinking beer for the first time. Mm. Um, so, and so we're finding a bit of traction in that. So, um, it's not a, it's not a Germanic vice. No, Wolfgang doesn't <laughs> like it. Uh, but it, but it, but it is again, as I say, it's 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 made with a specific purpose yeah. in mind. So yeah. Maybe one day we'll make a Germanic vice. <laughs> Well, it was wonderful talking to you. My thank pleasure. you for your time. That yeah, was a thank you. really nice discussion, and I hope we, and I'm sure we, we all learned a lot from this. Well, I hope so. And I mean, I, th- I, th- I think key thing, and I say to everybody, um, our doors are open mm. at Red Rock. Uh, I, I would like to position it as a centre of learning. Um, so yeah. Come and visit us and have a beer, if nothing else. But, uh, but you, you, pop in you, with your questions. Too. Yeah, you're not officially open as a as a tap room. No, we're not officially. And open you're not planning to do it. No. You know, uh, again, it's, it's a function of where we are. We're in an mm. industrial area. We've got a less than a hundred meters from us a really good restaurant that supports us. Mm. Um, we we built the brewery with about forty percent of our supply coming from our neighbours within the industrial park and so we, we, we can sell I mean, we, from a licensing point of view that's not the issue my view at the moment is just apart from having having the time mm. is around the fact that we've got the, the cafe up the road and um, you know we should let them do what they do best we, we may look towards one of those um, I don't know if you know Katie's Palace in, uh, in, in Joburg um, where it opens on the first Sunday of every month, and it's kind of so rather than oversaturating, just have once a month, maybe on I don't know Tuesday okay. or something, we'll be open to to the public to come and sample our beers mm. and taste our beers. But it, it's not our core business. Okay. Um, I'd like to sell beer at seventy rand a litre, yeah. um, but it's it's not our core business just yet. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we look forward to visiting you again, and thanks that the doors are always open. Yeah, always <laughs> open. We'll, we'll see you soon. Cool. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks, I was fortunate enough to be part of the the launch at the Red Rock Brewing Company, where I had an opportunity to chat to all the DGB reps. If you guys haven't had a chance to visit Ellen at the brewery, please make a plan. Make, any opportunity that you've got, Alan is a wonderful host and he'll be very proud to show you around his massive brewery. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Alan, for your contribution. And yeah, we're looking forward to meeting you at the next festival or come and join us online. We've just started a new community in a forum. Visit us at holger.co.za and check it out. Cheers.